Hello and welcome to Be With Champions. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And in today's episode, I have a delightful chat with a very good friend of mine, Helen Jenkins, a multiple world triathlon champion, three-time Olympic athlete for Great Britain, and just an extraordinary person that's had to overcome so many adversities throughout her career, but has still managed to step on the top step of that podium several times, including 2008 and 2011 World Championships, and and then dealing with the pressures of a hometown Olympics and, and all the mental stress that goes with all of that, but then also the physical stress that her body went through and, and having to just get to that start line healthy. It's a remarkable story, um, and Helen has done it with such grace under pressure, somebody that always seems to be very relaxed and always has a smile on her face and just one of the true champions of the world. And I was delighted to have her on the show today. Um, if you're loving the show, please uh, give me any feedback. Uh, that'd be wonderful. Please review, share, subscribe, any of that would be wonderful. You can do that on my social media or go to the iTunes app or which Spotify, whoever you're using. Uh, all of that truly helps me. And um Enjoy this one, guys. I really did. All right. Today's guest is a two-time triathlon world champion and one of the few athletes to win a world title when it was a one-day event and then when it became a series. She's represented Great Britain at three Olympic Games. She's had a career of highs and some pretty tough lows, world titles to injuries that have had a sideline for more than a year at a time. She continues to show incredible resolve. Her sheer grit, perseverance and determination have had to reach the top of the sport time and time again. She's been a good friend of mine for almost 20 years. Welcome and thanks for joining me on Be With Champions, Mrs. Helen Jenkins. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Excited yeah. about that. <laughs> it's uh, been a little while since we've spoken and, and I thought, oh, what a great opportunity to, you know, with this podcast, it's, it's a great way to get some some really wonderful friends that are doing some incredible things around the world just to spend some time and have a, have a good chat. So I really appreciate you coming on. Where are you at the moment? I'm at home. We're in um, South Wales and we're still kind of currently on sort of lockdown situation uh, with all the COVID-19. So it's uh, really unique circumstances at the moment, but we're just mm. trying to make the best of it and yeah, sort of carry on with the uh, routine. So routine always kind of helps. <laughs> Yeah, it's been, I, I really feel for a lot of you, I mean, for you, I mean, let's start by sort of talking about this last three to four years because, you know, it, it, it's been rocky. There's been some amazing highs, you know, you become a mother of two beautiful kids. Um, your last big race was at the end of 2016 where you were fourth in the grand final of the World Series. Um, but during that time, you've also had back surgery and then you were one of the few athletes this year to actually get a race in <laughs> before this yeah. all happened with your first half Ironman. So let's let's tell me about this sort of last three to four years and the process of deciding to get back into racing um, and, you know, going long course. There's a lot in that question, but let, let's yeah. sort of take one piece at a time. I mean, after Rio, the aim was always to try and get pregnant and luckily, you know, it will work. And we had Mali in 2017. And then the aim was to get back to racing the following year. And, you know, there's so many great role models out there at the moment that, you know, have a baby and come back, like, in, in all sports. It's a really, I think it's a really good time for kind of women to know that you can kind of go back. So I was like, well, this, you know, should be fine. But unfortunately, I've, I mean, I'd had back problems all through my career and, and it just got worse as after the pregnancy and it was... Um, 
it was at the point where it went really bad towards the end of 2017. So I've been back training a few months and like I couldn't walk. There were several episodes where I could barely walk for a week after kind of going for a run. I couldn't pick Mally up. She was only four months old and mm. we just didn't know what to do. And I went to see a few surgeons and, you know, you go to see a back surgeon. They always, <laughs> you're talking about a spinal fusion, which we were, they're like, well, there's no competing after this. And we're like, oh, well, okay. But it, it wasn't about that. It was about being able to live an active, healthy life. It wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, I want to be able to go out on a bike ride with my, my kids. I want to be able to carry a surfboard down to the sea and just just go for a jog. It was small things. It wasn't about competing. So I had the surgery uh, beginning of 2018. And yeah, that, that was it. And had the surgery and I did try and get back to competing and it was going okay, but my, my back just wasn't really coping brilliantly. It was was not it was not it wasn't ideal so we were like well if we're gonna have another baby let's just have one now <laughs> me as well um, yeah. there's no point in waiting any longer I mean, I'm not going anywhere with with sport and I think around that time I think if you'd asked me I was like well uh, there's no chance of me getting back to triathlon but you know this we'll see what happens um then had max um 2019 and amazingly my back was the best it'd been for years so kind of thought oh well you know and I didn't you know I wasn't thinking about training I was just getting fit you know and you're probably the same you love feeling fit you love feeling Mm. like it's not yeah so I was just getting back into training and I started to push some good power on the bike and I was like oh well you know maybe I should try (laughs) again (laughs) um so that's how it kind of came about and and luckily yeah we, we picked a race in early February but the reason we picked such an early race was because it was so easy just to keep putting it back and putting it back. And I wasn't, you know, brilliantly fit for that race in February in Dubai, the 70.3, but I needed to do a race because it had been so long. And like, thankfully now I'm so glad I did. (laughs) Mm. Well, it was amazing because like, I guess that is about three and a half years since you, you last competed in that, that grand final in Cozumel. And, you know, it's, Anybody that's dealing with injuries, which I'm sure a lot of the audience listeners are listening to this, they're just going, yeah, I, I feel the pain. I'm dealing with this, this, and this. And, you know, that that L5-S1 joint, I think a lot of triathletes have issues with and and the, a lot runs through that joint. But you actually had to, to get it fused in the end. And um, the other guy that did that, well, not other guy, <laughs> the guy that did that, Tiger Woods, was he an inspiration to you? Because he had the same kind of surgery, right? And then he yeah. came back. Yeah, and I think it it was as well. And I think because there's so much more, more rotation as well in golf, isn't there, than than what mm. we do. We kind of do most things in a straight line. Um, so and um, the physio, my physio in Sport Wales at the time, when when he saw Tiger Woods was coming back, he's like, I'm a lot more hopeful for your situation now. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it was it was an inspiration for me. The hardest thing was swimming, and I never thought that because most triathletes, when you're injured, swimming is not unless it's mm. a children's injury. Swimming is normally the thing you can do, but because my back is a lot more fixed, I'd lost a lot of um, mobility around the bottom of my back and I just couldn't get into the same position when I was swimming. Mm. And I still haven't got my swim back to levels it was when I was competing at ITU, but it's it's not as important at 70.3 to have that, you know, that amazingly fast, quick get-out speed. And it's just not uh, it's not quite there, but it's, uh, it's still kind of 
on the improvement but obviously i can't swim at the moment so it's no it doesn't matter right now nobody (laughs) in the world is really swimming much so i know and most of the events are going virtual at the moment with run bike run so there's plenty of competitions on the the running and biking on the treadmill and indoor trainer but i mean there's a bit of you know it's one thing to say you know a lot of women that are having babies and some of them are doing absolutely magnificently coming back uh, nicola spirit comes to mind you know the 2012 olympic champion and then she got silver in rio after having kid and uh, marinda carfrey's done, done pretty well coming back also in the ironman world you, you've not just had a baby though you've been dealing with an injury uh, for, gosh for as long as i can remember you've had somewhat of a niggling back you had a little bit of scoliosis scoliosis you know a little bit of a twist in your back but you still managed to become a two-time world champion. You still went into, well, two Olympic Games, almost three Olympic Games as one of the, the favourites for, for medal and gold medals. You've positioned yourself well, well at the top of the sport for almost 10 years, managing injuries. But this time around, just to get back to that start line after two kids and a back surgery is really, that's a great story just in itself. And I know... We're not talking about you winning your first, you know, 70.3, but, but just to toe the line, it must have been, I mean, to finish that race, was it, were you elated? Was it somewhat like, wow, I actually, yeah, and it, I think, like that's a win in itself. I look at that as an, a massive win. Do you I feel the it, same? Part of me was just like, so like it was, it was great to get to Dubai and actually I've traveled with a friend of mine, Morgan Davis, who he lives close to us and uh, Mark, my husband is my coach and Mark also coaches Morgan so we traveled out together which was really cool like to have a bit of company and it was so weird to be back in the race environment but I I kind of really enjoyed it I'd like absolutely like just kind of be back doing kind of what I do I wasn't just you know I'm not just mum then I'm um able to go back to like being kind of me um which was really nice and yeah it was it was just like I was so glad to finish and I think a few people after was like well we, we you know were you happy with that performance because it, it wasn't an amazing performance I know I know that I've and I think if I'm comparing to what I've done in the past, it's it's way off where I've been in the past. But it was just the fact of mm. I've got out there and kind of done it. And and the swim was beautiful. As we were swimming and the sun was coming up, and I was just like, oh, this is amazing. I was like, oh, no, I've mm. got to focus on what I'm doing. Like, come on. Um, but- well, I, I, Laura and I watched it. Just we couldn't believe for one. You, we, we've sort of you know we chat to you guys. I don't know once every couple of months, and we we all share our stories and horror stories, and we're pretty honest and open with each other and. And I think both Laura and I, when we when we saw you you finish that race after sort of going on the roller coaster ride with you guys for the sort of past sort of five to ten years, and just to see you finish, we we were elated for you. We thought it was really a really special performance just to to be there. And you almost got on the podium. I think you only I run know. down with a couple of k to go. Yeah, I know. I, look up <laughs> I have no chance. <laughs> I off, and um, I I haven't run. I mean, I'd run a half that distance before, but not within the last five years, definitely. And I was running. I was like. Yeah, I've not, hadn't done it in training, so it was a bit unknown. <laughs> and I was just like, I started off, and you know, what it's like you feel really easy, don't you? But I was like, really sensible. I was like, right, no, you can't go fast in this pace. And I, I did manage to kind of stay, like, I did drop off a little bit towards the end of the pace, but I was kind of really happy after the training I'd done to to do that. But yeah, it, it felt like a long way. I couldn't walk for a, like a week afterwards. I was like hobbling mm. around the airport the next day. It was horrific. But again, like. And it's so that's why it's so strange at the moment because you you kind of come back from that and you're like oh yeah you know I'm, I, you know I'm really mm. motivated because I know I had so much room to improve but I came back um I kind of got a bit sick I just kind of run down with a virus um both kids got chicken pox Mark has 
was back and forward coaching in London. So I had the most horrific month following it. So it's been a event. Uh, yeah, so it kind of, uh, <laughs> it was just like the worst sort of month following it. And then it was like trying to plan for what was going to come next. And I was hoping to race kind of the end of April, but obviously it's a, everything's yeah, changed at the moment. It's just a, a really mm. big unknown. I mean, I, I feel for, well, you've been to three Olympics and, and Laura and I have sort of had our Olympic experiences, but, you know, the athletes that were preparing for Tokyo and and to be told sort of that sort of four months before, and it's almost like you, you're, you're just preparing for your final push for those Olympic athletes. You know, it's that final, okay, I've got a good base behind me. I've done the test events. And I, and I really feel for a lot of the, the Olympic athletes, obviously there's a lot of professional athletes out there that are, you know, missing events as well. And, and I feel for everybody. Um, I, I have tremendous yeah. gratitude that I'm retired right now because yeah. it, it, I really do feel to try and keep the motivation going. But one thing I know is that for you, you've been able to keep your motivation going for the past three and a half years. So this is almost like just another pause that, I know out of all the athletes in the world that if you want to keep going, it's going to be, it's not a big deal. It's kind of like, okay, I can manage this. How did you keep that, that passion alive to keep going this last three to four years? Um, I think some of it is habit. Uh, you, you know, it's what I've always done and um, probably that's not the most, uh, sometimes that's not the best reason to keep going. And there's been a lot of times where I thought, you know, what am I doing? Like, really, what am I doing? Especially when I was, you know, the first six months after Max, I'm still breastfeeding Max. I'm trying to get up and go training in the morning and mm. different stuff going on. You just think, oh, is this, is this kind of worth it? And I think sometimes it's just it's habit. I think a lot of it is I don't want – I think the biggest thing this time around was not having any regrets because I'm 36 now and I really wasn't fussed on coming back and getting back into triathlon. But I was like, you know, if I wait another two years – then it's going to be too late. I've not really got that option in another two years to kind of come back. So it's like, well, I may as well kind of carry on now. And then um, we've been, I think, so some of it's habit, but it is that I do just love what I do. And I think mm. I've been through periods in the past, definitely, especially after big injuries. And I think the biggest, the hardest time in my career was definitely around the London Olympics. So I kind of got a really bad injury in the beginning of May and barely ran from May until August. And I was kind of one of the favorites going into it. And so dealing with the aftermath of London and kind of going as a favorite to win gold and coming fifth, which I'm, I'm still proud of the performance on the day, but the aftermath of, of that and, and I, I saw triathlon as a job for, for a good year and a half after that. And I, and it, we came to the realization myself and Mark that, you know, we did have time away from the sport, we took a bit of time away and didn't know what we were going to do. And we ended up swim, bike and running nearly every day. <laughs> like, oh my God. It's like, we do this anyway. We did, you know, this is, this is, it is what I love to do. And even if I wasn't training to be a professional athlete now, I would still swim, bike and run because, uh, I do love it. So mm. I think it, it I understand of, that fully. Yeah. And I think a lot of people listening to you are, are kind of nodding their heads going, yeah, I just, I just love, love to do it. I think it gets harder as you get older or if you're dealing with injuries and you get a little frustrated or whatever and you're slowing down and, and you're trying to manage all that. But um, I want to, I do want to, you know, get to London Olympics and Beijing and Rio and all the Olympics and, and the experience you ha you've had. But I, I want to first, I want to wind the clock back and sort of just, when did you first find your passion for endurance sport? For, because in my little bit of homework and from when we've spoken, you moved around a fair bit 
when you were a kid, right? I think, and then you finally settled in South Wales. And tell me yeah. about when you found your passion for sport and how I that think, worked. Well, my, my dad was in the Air Force, so we, we did move around a bit, but we kind of settled in, in Wales quite early. I was about five, so I started all my schooling and stuff in Wales. Um, and then I think naturally I have a I, I love swimming from a young age. My parents took me swimming from a baby, and like I love swimming lessons and joined a swimming club. And I think that was you know swimming was what I loved to do, and I kind of you know, really tried hard and trained for it. I was a terrible competitor, though. I was, like, get, got way too nervous. I was always trying to get a national time or aim for a national time and get, like, always just kind of missed it. And I think it just it was just the right time. I was 15, and, you know, that's that's a huge age for dropout, especially for girls, I think, that's 15, 16 years mm-hmm. old. The dropout in sport is, is massive. And um, one of the girls I swam with, her father was involved in Welsh triathlon. He asked um, a group of us at swimming if we'd like to – you know, give it a go. He had a, he had a trip coming up. He needed a few athletes, so we did a really basic sort of talent ID down the local industrial estate. We kind of rode around it on bikes and and ran off. And the fastest ones got taken away on a little trip. So that was me. <laughs> so that was, it was so basic, and you you think of all the kind of you know the funding and science that goes into it now. And Chris, the Chris Goulden, his name was the the guy that kind of got me into it. It was um, and he was doing that back on his own, you know, in the mm. day. Um, mm. And yeah, so it went triathlon started then. I, I was good at it. I think that's what initially kind of got me into it. You know, I, I had some success, whereas as a swimmer, I was, I was pretty rubbish. You know, I wasn't <laughs> the best. So um, I think I, and I enjoyed kind of, uh, I always found a lot of pressure in swimming, the, you know, the standing on the blocks, the, you know, the, the take you mark, the echoing of the noise around the pool. It just it always used to really sort of freak me out. So <laughs> being outside, like racing, I think that was such a, I thought, no, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> That's what I kind of really kind of got me go into it. That's funny. I, I hardly did any swimming racing as a kid growing up. I actually found triathlon and then realized I should do some swimming training sort of <laughs> poster. I came from I was more of a runner and, and I remember my mates needed a, a runner in a in a team league for a triathlon. And when we got to the race, one of the guys that was meant to be doing the swim league had a bit of an asthma attack and they said, well, Greg, you, you jump in the ocean a bit. You kind of so, like, what? So I ended up having to swim. I think it was like an 800-meter swim. It was like, and I came out of the water second last. I think there was a woman that was about 75 in front of me and 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 I was just like, remember just going, that was one of the most awful things. But then I joined a swim group a bit like you and then they said, oh, Greg, you know, want to come and do some racing? And I think that was one of the most nerve-wracking things in my life <clears throat> was starting – a swim race. Yeah. It wasn't the Olympic Games in triathlon. It wasn't any of those kinds of things. It was like a, a 50 meter sprint race. I found so nerve wracking and so uncomfortable. So I, yeah. I totally get what you're saying. And so was there a point then that you were like, was it during that trip that you went away that you're like, hang on, I'm actually pretty good at this? Or did that build over time, that sort of confidence and belief that you got some talent and strengths in this? I think it built over time and, you know, I was really lucky then because I kind of got into it. My mum and dad, the next year, there was a British sort of youth series and it's so funny. I look at it now and the British youth junior series is massive. I've been to one of the talent ID kind of weekend things and it's like 500 kids, like all aiming to get into this series more. There's there's so many. And at that time, mm. there was like five of us racing, like regularly. <laughs> there's so little. But yeah, I won kind of the, the series at that age and then I got a little bit of funding, which was really handy from like the Welsh government at the time. Um, it all works a bit differently now, but that was enough like to buy a bike and it just meant my mum and dad didn't have to spend a huge amount of money 
on me getting mm. into the sport, which made a massive difference. So I think I had like, um, not that you need the best equipment, but I had average equipment rather than terrible, <laughs> which made a difference. And um, yeah, I think it was just a progression. It was, I, I think one of the things that you said earlier was the passion. I think it's improving and seeing myself improve, getting mm. faster. I'd never done any running like when I was younger and for a few jogs and school cross country. So like running improvement was really quick. My cycling improvement took a long time, but it did, you know, I could see improvements. So I think that's, you know, just being able to see myself improve and get better and get better at racing. And yeah, I think that was what kind of got me hooked. Yeah, I was a bit the same in the sense that it was the pats. For me, it was the pats on the back, probably more than my. For me, it was more like the extrinsic. And I don't know if that's a male versus female thing or whatever it is, because Laura, my wife, is much like you. I think she found the self improvement and the better times and the better performances. Whereas I found myself getting more pats on the back for winning a, a local little biathlon with a little Balmoral Triathlon Club or whatever it was. And, and those little wins, those tiny little victories were just enough to go hang on you know and for especially when you're in those teenage years and and we're all dealing with our kind of insecurities and trying to figure out who we are and what we want in life it was uh having those little pats on the back of going you know you're you're pretty good at this kind of thing was what fueled my kind of passion so it's a similar kind of way that we all kind of grow into the sport and we become these triathletes and suddenly triathlon is consuming us you know it's like this is now what who we are and what we do and it's our number one passion so was there a time during that period where you were like when i'm i'm going to go all in here and, and take full control of my life and this is what i'm going to do for a career um, at what point did that yeah, happen quite young because i think um as well like i met my husband mark when i was i was young i was 17 um yeah he, he picked you up from the high school didn't he <laughs> but we were in the same we're in the same swimming club so I, I you know I'd known him for years and he was a professional triathlete so I think if I didn't know a professional triathlete it would have been quite different but I did <laughs> did I remember going to my careers advisor in school and they're like well you're not applying for university and I was like well there's nothing I want to do more than try and be a triathlete at this time and <laughs> she said to me do you think it's a good career path do you think you're going to make it I was like well yeah <laughs> of course I am but for me it was always like and I mean education is really important like if this doesn't work out I'm gonna go back to sport it's just I don't want to do both at the same time like I want Mm. to do one more than the you know I want to try one and then if it doesn't work in a few years I'll do the other one and my parents are really supportive because they just didn't want to want me to waste money doing something you know I, I didn't want to do there's like well don't go to like um, I mean Loughborough was the place everyone was going at that point don't go to Loughborough just do a, any old degree just so you can go to Loughborough to do triathlon it's just you know just do what you want to do and then go back and um kind of do do education afterwards if that's the way it goes so I think I was really lucky that I was I was in the position to be able to kind of give triathlon a, a, a go and then once you start earning money it's very hard to go back <laughs> <laughs> well you backed yourself though I think you know it's one of those things I I interviewed Vincent Louis a couple of weeks ago and and Vincent won the 2019 world championships so last year world champion after he won the world junior championships back in 2008 so 11 years after he won juniors he finally won the seniors and and in that conversation much like you he sort of talked about the fact that, look, I could have gone to university and I went to my dad and said, look, the money you were going to help support me go to university, you know, how about I, I go into this triathlon 
thing and give it a good go. And and if not, I'll join you in the factory or get a job in the bike shop or whatever it is and I'll give up my chance to do education. And and he kind of said, look, my back was against the wall. That that means I can only go forward. And a couple of years later, he's sort of winning the World Junior Championships and that kind of thing. So these stories, I think we've all done it differently and there isn't a right or a wrong path because if I, you know, I had Alistair Brownlee on the show and here he is getting degrees and doing a master's degree while the 2012 Olympics is going on. I mean, this guy, he's got all the talent. <laughs> it's like the rest of us, Laura and I always laugh, go, we're not talented enough to be able to do more than be consumed by the one thing we're doing, you know. And, know, and-, and Nicola's a lawyer, isn't she? Nicholas Perry's a lawyer. I'm just like, I feel really stupid. <laughs> no, well, that's just it. Like we all have approached it in different ways and it doesn't mean you can't go be a lawyer now if that's really what floats your boat you know yeah. that's really what you want to do and and I think the same with Alistair he grew up in a very academic family you know and for him academics was the priority but you know he suddenly had this incredible ability to work hard and had some talent to back it and uh in in sport and so he kind of was able to mix the two um academics never came that easily for me it was like whatever I do I've had to apply myself at that thing and do it to my best of my ability. And I need to kind of go all in to some degree. I'm not good at having a distraction on the outside. Whereas someone like Alistair was saying, I need that distraction on the outside. Otherwise I'm not going to function well on the thing I need to be doing either. So it's, it is funny to, to try and sort of balance these. And, and, and again, when you're 17, 18 and you're trying to figure out a degree or what you're going to do with the rest of your life and you're like, well, hang on, I'm, I'm only just, you know, 18, about to leave high school, trying to figure out what I'm going to do, and suddenly somebody's going to offer me a paycheck and be a professional triathlete. I know. I take, it, take the money, it, right? <laughs> it's funny you say about the thing that you need to push you, and I think what really did it for me was um, me and Mark bought a – well, I say me and Mark. Mark bought a house. I, I didn't have any money at that point. It was sort of around 2004 time. And then he got really sick. He's, he'd had blood clots through his career but not really known about it, and he got had a really bad one in his leg, one in his lungs, and – Obviously, he was the one that was earning money and doing well at sport, and he he wasn't anymore. He you know he he wasn't able to do that, and I think I think that was one of the points which made me. I mean, I always took it seriously. I'm quite a serious person. I, I take what I do you know seriously. Um, but yeah, I was like, well, I've got to do it now. And and then 2005 mm-hmm. was sort of my, a bit more of my breakthrough kind of senior year. I wasn't a brilliant junior or under 23, but obviously became a better senior. So it's there is some things that have to kind of push you, and I think like I do think back that that careers advisor, and I was like I'm amazed at my confidence at that time, just to go well, yeah, that's what I'm going to yeah. do. And I fully believed at that point I was going to be world champion as well because I'd I'd memorized the list of the world champions, memorized all their names, and I was like, well, I'll, I'll be one too one day. <laughs> so, See, yeah. you don't come across that way either. That's you you hide that confidence very well because you do not come across you know you tend to have people that carry confidence and people might call them arrogant or or all kinds of things but you seem to be one of the most laid-back chilled people I know and to hear like you said it's almost surprising to be able to talk to that career advisor and say no I'm going to be a professional athlete and in your own mind I'm going to be a world champion I mean you've already planted the seed you know that at that young age and and then you've sort of come out and you've done it um you know, we stepped forward to 2008, uh, which was really, you know, when we do sort of go through your career here, really was the breakthrough day. Would you say like that 2008 World Championship? Because I look at your resume and 
you've been there, been there about for 05, 06, 07. You, you're kind of having some consistent results, but nothing that would say, you know, Helen Jenkins is the next world champion. Then boom, uh, we, we move up to 2008, Vancouver World Championships. Um, you know, you finished second in the World Cup the week before, I think, or two weeks before in Madrid. And then, bang, you won the Vancouver World Championships in 2008. Tell me a little bit of that process up to that point because that must have been somewhat of a life changer for you. Yeah, it really was. I mean, we I had the same coach from sort of 2003, um, probably before, 2002, um, Chris Jones. He coached me like uh, he was a brilliant, brilliant coach and like really good run coach. And um, he took me through juniors and kind of my through my through breakthrough kind of in 2005. And then I got injured in 2016, an Achilles injury. And it was really, really hard to deal with. My first big injury, I didn't race for the rest of 2016. Started the 2017 season, and yeah, I, I mean, I didn't. 2007 season, 2006 and seven, yeah, six yeah. And seven, sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that's okay. Just keeping everybody on track here. <laughs> yeah, um, and then 2007, barely, barely raced, and kind of didn't, didn't really do well. In the end of 2007, I got um, left Chris as a coach. You know, our coaching relationship completely broke down. He didn't cope with the injury well. I didn't cope with it well. It was just a bit of a mess, and. And at that point, I also lost my funding. They said, you know, we don't see you making the Olympics next year in 2008. So, wow. <laughs> yeah, to my face, that was said as well. So, I'm quite glad it was to my face. But um, I was, and I, I did question because I, I hadn't raced brilliantly or, or not raced. So, to lose your funding makes sense. It's like, well, okay. But they did keep on another athlete who had had a similar length of injury to me. So, I was like, well, that shows that you don't believe in me and you believe in them. So, that's where I kind of questioned it. And at that point, Mark started coaching me because we, we didn't really see many other options. We were like, he's like, well, you know, I care about what we're doing now more than what and you getting to the Olympics more than anyone else does. So so he took over coaching me at that point. And I think that was that was kind of the turning point. Um, and we, we made a plan of how I was going to try and get to Beijing Olympics, which included started I started racing on literally January the the fifth or something i went down to like chile and argentina to do races to get points to get into the world cups mm. I had to race three world cups three weekends in a row to get when i finished 13th in all of them <laughs> i think it was 13th to actually get um enough points to get onto the olympic selection start li- start line which was in madrid so i jumped through so many hoops to get to madrid and i think it was the i had about an eight week training block after the three world cups in a row and it was like, well, we can't worry about getting injured now. It's just all in. Just do as much training and well, you know, within reason as I could, and, and the best training possible. And that that off the back of that came coming second in Madrid, and then when well, Vancouver. Let me just interrupt there, just because for people that are listening, Mark, your husband, Mark Jenkins, I competed against for many many years, and. Uh, he was actually in the 2004 Olympic Games for Great Britain, and and if you look up the highlight reel of that, you'll you'll see you'll see Mark running up the hill with the bike on his shoulder after he had a puncture, and uh, it was it was a pretty great story. But and as you you briefly touched on, you know, then had some deep vein thrombosis and and all sorts of things that took him out of the sport. But one of the, one of the all time great British athletes in his own right, and um, so you've got you've got somebody that actually truly understands the sport and truly wants the best for you probably more than anybody else in your corner um you know it was one thing laura and i always struggled with we 
I'd had coaches along the way and by 2000 to 2004, I had a consultant with uh, um, Lance Watson in Canada and Laura joined her as well as a bit of a coach. But then in 2000, well, really in 2004, we decided to coach ourselves and we just said, look, nobody's going to care about what we do more than ourselves and we have to back ourselves. It hasn't always been smooth sailing. Like there were times we wished we had somebody else to look in on us, you know, because it's, it's hard when you bring it into the family. But you guys were able to, to do it very well. I love that story of the start of 2008, by the way, and having to collect all the points. And I have your resume in front of me here, which shows a win in – Vina Del Mar yeah. on the 6th of January, <laughs> a win uh, the week later in La Paz uh, on the 13th of January, and then, as you said, 30th of March, Malula Bar World Cup, 13th, New Plymouth World Cup, 13th, Ishigaki World Cup, 13th, <laughs> and that goes through that sort of March and early April, and and that was back-to-back weekends. I mean, yeah. we're, you know, incredible, and then you only have a couple of weeks off Second at Madrid, boom, two weeks later, you're winning the world title in Vancouver. Um, just just an incredible. Take me through that Vancouver race. Um, it's, it was inc- I didn't expect it at all, and I went in with so little pressure on me because I wasn't planning to race. It was, um, But the Great Britain team only had um, – two olympic spots for the female we only had select we only had enough points to have two females going so to get three females going we needed to race all of us needed to race to try and get the third spot now i probably didn't need to race because i already had a spot so i was like well you know there's no point in me racing i'm gonna kind of stay you know stay home and kind of you know, focus on the olympics now but there's kind of a bit of pressure from other people and i've I did kind of cave in and like there was pressure from kind of some staff and I think I did cave in. I mean, luckily I did really, <laughs> but mm. if I stuck to my best plan and tried to prepare just for Beijing for the Olympics. I probably wouldn't have gone, but I did go. So I think the, one of the best things was I was there. I was like, well, I don't really care what happens. I'm just not, mm. you know, I was so relaxed before the start of um, the swim. It was absolutely freezing. Um, so I think oh, I remember, yeah, that, <laughs> That did play to my advantage because you know the, the the athletes at the time, Vanessa Fernandez. I mean, she hadn't been beaten for for months and months and months. So Emma Snowsill, I don't think, was racing in Vancouver. Um, but yeah, everyone was like, "Well, Vanessa's going to win." So I think just the conditions definitely played into my favour then. And I had a really good, a decent swim. And on the bike, Sarah Haskins kind of made a break on a hill, and I um I tried to go with her and realised it was just the two of us. So we ended up riding just the two of us for the whole kind of um 40k and um, pretty much the whole 40k then heading out onto the run it was just the two of us and I was I remember someone telling me it was like two and a half minutes and I was like right well someone's gonna Vanessa will run us down and maybe so and so will and so and so will so we kept running and the time gaps weren't coming down that much and it wasn't until like I think it was 2k to go and I went past because Mark was coaching me but we also had a guy called Rick Velati who was co- he really helped deliver a lot of the sessions as well so I ran past mm-hmm. Rick and Rick said like how much the gap was and I was like oh my god I'm going to be first or second in the world and I was like I remember thinking Mark will kill me if I'm second <laughs> like, <laughs> and I, was like, I thought to myself well, second is amazing and I was like no don't think like that <laughs> um, and I don't like I don't have a good sprint at all but um, neither did Sarah. So <laughs> I managed yeah. to kind of have a kick on Sarah 
And I remember just that disbelief of crossing the line. And it felt really weird because no one was there. Like it was such a last minute race for me. I didn't, there's no family or anything there. And like one of the guys I saw was a guy who'd won his age group, um, a British guy, and he's in my running club. So like he was the closest person to me. So me and Alan had a nice hug afterwards. (laughs) A random thing. It was, um, yeah, very strange, but amazing. Like absolutely amazing. And I was really like emotional, like kind of sit on the podium and stuff. Cause it's just, you know, like I said, it's something I dreamed of probably since I was 17, but um, yeah. I just didn't expect it so soon. <laughs> I know it was, I mean, for people that were there, both Laura and I raced um, that Vancouver world championships. And it was funny, both Laura and I had pretty good years in 2008 and I'll never forget at the end of the year, we both sat back and we, we kind of went through our year and everything and, both of us had had such miserable times at that Vancouver race because we were so cold that we could hardly move that we'd forgotten completely about that world title because we were like, it was like one of those where we were like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because I, I had Javier Gomez on the show and, and we were chatting about that because he ended up winning the men's world title. And and he said, yeah, I remember you running next to me at about three or four K in. I thought, oh, Greg's going to be tough to beat today or whatever the conversation was. And he said, suddenly you were just gone. <laughs> and I said, yeah, my whole right. I remember my glute just completely locking up, like completely frozen. And I couldn't, I suddenly just couldn't move. And it was like, ah. And then two weeks later after that, um, you and I both shared a podium together at the high V triathlon. I don't oh, know if you remember that. Me. I was third yeah. and you were third there. And um, it was a decent payday for, for yeah. both of us. I th- yeah, and I just loved that race because it was, um, you know, you just really well looked after, weren't you? I mean, the, the, obviously the prize money was always going to be something that drew drew everyone in. But I, I love racing in the US as well. Like I've, I always have, I always will. It's just uh, mm-hmm. I love traveling over there and they put on a really good race. And they love triathlon, don't they, the Americans? Mm-hmm. No, they do. Yeah. But you also mentioned there, you know, how relaxed you were going um, in Vancouver. And and I'll never forget going to the 2004 Olympic trials in Perth. And I'd won the World Series in 02 and 03, had missed the 2000 Olympics in 2000 and was like, and then the Australians said, look, we're doing the selection process at the end of December and the 2nd of February or whatever, the two trial races. I was like, oh, I got to peak at the wrong time. You know, I got to keep my fitness going after, you know, being in peak condition for the northern hemisphere and i remember just saying to laura just i don't think i can do this you know and i crashed out crashed and burned in the first trial race and then the second trial race a couple of days before going to perth i just said to laura don't come and i mean we had beers and we had nachos or whatever (laughs) you know the night before i was flying out (laughs) flew to the race and i was just like look just show them that you can bike maybe maybe they'll put you on as you know they could select the third person could be just selected and then like you in vancouver i I opened up this gap with a guy by name of a australian athlete levi maxwell and we opened up like a minute gap or something and i was run down by simon thompson who took the win but then i just had to finish next australian across the line to get the automatic spot and courtney atkinson overtook me and then i managed to run him back down but the whole point of that story is that that ability to go into a race where you're just like look relax you know there's there's nothing i'm already like for you i'm already going to the olympics i don't have to overperform here i just get a workout in and see what happens. And all of a sudden you allow yourself to ride away with Sarah Haskins, you know, quite comfortably because you're not, you're not second guessing and and your mind is calm and you're quiet and you can make decisions quickly without that fear of going, Oh, is that the right decision kicking in? And by the time you think about that, 
that person's already gone. So that ability to relax was really a gift for you. Now, let's move on to the 2008 Olympics then in Beijing. Um, You're now world champion. You're 24 at the time. You look back, you're pretty, pretty young. Was there... Did you feel pressure going into the 2008 Olympics or, you know, how, how was that going in now that you were the current world champion and how did you deal with that? I mean, I, I didn't feel too much pressure. I think it maybe put a little, maybe made a few more people aware that I was in the race probably. But uh, I, think, um, the, I think because Vanessa Fernandez and Emma Snowsell had just been, they'd been kind of quite a long way ahead of a lot of us for, you know, a good few years, I think, it was definitely more in my mind. It was more about them, um, and I was, mm. you know, I was, I was hoping. I mean, I can't remember. I finished way down. I was hope, obviously hoping for better than I finished, but um, mm. I didn't find it too much pressure. The whole, the whole games was quite hard as the British team. We had um, Tim Don got really sick, like pretty much as we were traveling from our um, holding camp to the village. We stayed in the village. Um, then my roommate Holly Avel, who was you know she was only eighteen, she'd done like amazing to qualify, mm-hmm. a real sort of talent, um, young talent, and then she got sick and kind of moved out of the village. It was all just like for someone who hadn't been in that environment before, I found it. I was kind of a bit overwhelmed. I think when I look back, I was very overwhelmed, and we didn't have the staff there that to to kind of almost almost like help me along with it either and I think Mm. I would be able to deal with it fine and you know if that happened in Rio I just would have been I don't know what I'm doing I was fine but I think at that age I really wasn't didn't cope with that very well and didn't race very well and then I think two days later kind of came down with a chest infection so probably had the start of a chest infection and (laughs) was incredibly sort of um yeah just really struggled with the whole environment but it was an amazing kind of you know I think going to the Olympics is was something I thought about from a young age kind of as a swimmer I remember watching the Olympics when I was young and thought I'd love to go to the Olympics so (laughs) it was amazing to to actually be there and and be a part of an Olympic Games but it was a very stressful environment and and I felt really Mm. bad that you know the athletes that got sick too which which obviously yeah really sucked (laughs) Yeah, it was a pretty young team you guys had too, if you look back, because, you know, you had Alistair Brownlee on. I think Tim Dom was one of the older guys. Yeah. I, I commentated for BBC, so I think uh, yeah, yeah. Y- your husband, Mark, was meant to do the commentary and then I think he handed it over to me somehow and and so I got this this gig, you know, commentating your yeah. event. And obviously because it was for the BBC, we we focused on the, the British athletes somewhat. And uh, But I, I remember that and, and I think I look back – because it was such a young team, it was a great platform for you all moving forward. To even have a lot of those issues maybe during that Olympic experience only made you all more prepared come the big one for most of you, you know, 2012. And so let's look at that next part because, you know, you it looks to me like 2009 and 10, they were consistent years, but I wouldn't say they were your strongest years. But then you hit 2011 and basically it was like, bang um you win the world series you win the test event in london and as you touched on at the top of the show you were really going into that sort of 2012 as one of the favorites for that london olympic games and even you know i think right up until i mean you won san diego you were second in sydney at the start of 2012 so you had a you basically had about an 18 month window there where you were world number 1 
going into a home Olympics. Um, tell me about that little ride through to probably one of the biggest pressure moments of your life and having to deal with injuries and pressure. Yeah, I think, well, 2011 was an amazing year for me. I was really, um, I started off with a crash at the start of the year in Sydney um, and then bounced back from it really well, um, raced really well. And I think it just, it came to a point I'd gradually improved from 20 through 2009 and 10. And, you know, I just hit really good form. I was um, I was able to, to cope with more training. Um, I was just, I think, you know, I was able to do more running, which made a massive difference. And I look back at that year now, and although I became world champion, there were so many little warning signs that my back wasn't right. There were so many little issues going on that I just ignored. And, you know, mm. things are going well, so you kind of get on with it. And from that, after Beijing, Beijing was a series final in 2011, and I came second there, and that was enough to secure the the world, world title. That winter, I just had um, – I kept getting, like, shooting pains down my legs, loads and loads of, like – issues in my foot and ankles, which um, since I've had my surgery, I don't get any of those now. So they were all being caused by sort of my back problems. Um, and then, yeah, so I, things were going great. And I was, I was doing a lot of training. So I was obviously highly motivated to kind of go to London and, you know, do well. It's, I think since London was announced, it was something that every British athlete was kind of dreaming of and focusing on. And I was so focused at that time on London and yeah started the year well in Sydney but what happened in Sydney is I got to about 9k in the run and my leg kind of all seized up and, and cramped and we didn't know what it was we thought it was maybe nutrition like salts that kind of thing um and same thing happened when we got to San Diego and mm. um, when we were out we stayed out there training for quite a while before the race and San Diego was the best performance of my career I think that's the the best race I've ever done I came out the swim first rode really strongly in the front pack and it's the fastest run I've ever done um and then but then it fell apart like literally a week after San Diego it was um yeah my my um my knee went which we we thought it was a knee injury but we now know it was the nerve that was all kind of going down a really bad pinch of the nerve in the back and yeah it was just basically survival mode from from that point in kind of beginning of May to to um to the London Olympics so yeah it was it was an amazing part of my career the 2011 that was and the beginning of 2012 because it's the best I've ever raced um but I also didn't enjoy it as much as I should have done at the time I know mm, I always mm. say that to like young athletes now is you have to celebrate those wins <laughs> yes you do <laughs> it's funny I I always say to, to a young athletes you get you get to Rent being the best for a little bit. You do all this hard work almost as a deposit, you know, and you get to just borrow it for a moment. And then there's going to be somebody else that comes along or your body's not going to turn up. So embrace it. Embrace any time you get a special thing. Yeah. Like I, I won the world championship in 2011. We didn't do anything to celebrate it. Like I came home, had a break. And we didn't go to Vegas that year. I thought we were in Vegas. That year. We did, yeah. But <laughs> It was just straight back to training. There was no. It didn't celebrate with anyone at home. We didn't do anything. We just kind of. Yeah. It was all yeah. about London, and I. I wish I could kind of. Re, well, there's lots of things I would have done differently, um, but mm. high hindsight, isn't it? I wouldn't have yeah, had the best performances of my career at the start of 2012 if I hadn't have kind of done all that training. So yeah, it's just. Uh, it was incre- It was a really tough time, but it was an amazing time. Like what you've heard so far, then make sure you never miss a podcast by clicking the subscribe button now. 
This show is only made possible by you, the listener, and if you'd like to support Greg, please visit the Be With Champions Patreon page. Your support, very much appreciated. Now, back to the show. Well, I think, you know, you mentioned San Diego. I was there because that was Laura's US Olympic trials. Laura yeah. had... Um, Laura did. Laura, yeah, Laura got third, but yeah. it was talking about your event. So Laura had missed out on the qualifying at the test event. She had a rubbish race the in, in London in 2011 to qualify for the 2012 Olympic Games. And so San Diego was the only one that she could do it. And she had to beat Sarah Haskins, I think. Um, and so they were kind of really eyeing each other. But I remember giving Laura splits all around the course and you were so far in front. I think you ran a low 33-minute 10K and a, and a very accurate 10K course, that wrong. one, I think. Well, I went wrong. They put the barrier in the wrong place, so I kind of had to run down a few metres and spin around. And- <laughs> <laughs> always, always a competitor. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Hang on, Greg. Correct, correct me on my time. Uh, yeah. but I think you won by over a minute to Erin Densham, I think, who got second. Yeah. And then um, – who ended up getting bronze at the the Olympics a few months later. So it really did show you the form that you were in. And, um, you know, we we can always talk in hindsight, this and this and, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, Laura was third. And then I I know you and Laura were kind of talking behind the scenes, getting ready for the Olympics and saying, look, we need to swim off the front and then bike together and, you know, and then attack the run and, you know, may the best woman win. Um, And then we got to London and, and I, your swim, I think you had so much on your mind. I think you were dealing with the pressure of being a favorite, but also trying to keep quiet <laughs> an injury that you had been dealing with for yeah. months to the point that you could hardly train at all and still trying to front up and do your very, very best. And I think when you walk away with a fifth, when you're dealing with all those adversities that you had, only you within yourself could walk away and go, you know what? That was incredible. Like I, I walked, I, and again, I talked to Alistair Brownlee before, what Olympics was it? He was dealing with an Achilles injury. And, and I before 04 Olympics, I had an Achilles injury and Javier Gomez had an, in, an injury before 08. And all those difficulties of just trying to get yourself to the start line healthy trying not to almost embarrass yourself because you're unsure of your fitness because you haven't been able to train properly or race properly. You know, I think it was like I went fourth uh, on an injury. Javier Gomez went fourth in 08 with an injury and Alistair Brownlee managed to pull through <laughs> and still win. But and then, but you got your fifth um, and Laura also had a similar story with her fourth. That It's almost like the athletes are, are somewhat one of the favourites yeah. If you deal with an injury going in, that, that podium is so hard to get, but yeah. you can still get that fourth, fifth, sixth. Yeah. I mean, it took it took a long it took a while after London to kind of get over it, I think. It was and I remember mm. I went back to Hyde Park later that it was the following year. And it was really like a really visceral like experience. Like I like I felt like sick. I was like it came over. Mm. I, was, like, I could feel my heart rate going up when I walked around. I was with my mum. We walked around the park and I was yeah. like it was really kind of stressful, but now I look now when I look back on it, it's like the race I'm most proud of in my career. I, I shouldn't have come fifth off the trip. I'd barely run. I'd like then you know some people who barely run are still able to run three hours a week and are on the cross. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> when my knee first went bad, I couldn't even swim with a pool boy in. It was like it was really it was one of the most painful things I've ever had. So it really was such a tough 
tough like few months so and I look at the I haven't I've seen a photo I've not never watched the race but I've seen pictures of me before the start and I think I don't know how I walked onto that pontoon like with that much pressure I think when you look at it now I I don't know how I did it but um, a friend of mine who's a sports psych we worked together for years and and I remember her it stuck in my head that she just said you just got to do what you always do race how you always race and I think, well, I thought, well, that's all I can do, isn't it? And, um, and I took the run out and I, I did try and, and race like I, I would have raced it if I was fit. So I think that, mm. that kind of got me through it and got me kind of the fifth and the crowd support. I mean, it was like, I mean, even if you weren't British, like London Olympics was one of the loudest, like most well-supported Olympics I've ever seen. But being British and having all those people shouting your name was, uh, yeah, it gives, gives, you, gives me goosebumps thinking about it. It was incredible. No. It really was an insane Olympic. So, you know, we went to, what do we go, Sydney and Athens and Beijing and London and all these Olympics. And, and that was, that was a special one for yeah. sure. And, um, and, and Laura stepped off that course, I think a bit disappointed with her performance as well at that Olympics. Um, but then that next little block, trying to get over this, you know, this is now really since tw- May 2012, you've been dealing with back problems that were giving different kinds of maybe your foot was sore it was you know you were dealing with a lot between those periods of time but you still wanted to go to Rio Olympics and give it another go and and it was you were consistent you had 2013 did you have 2013 completely off yeah or? I didn't do anything and that was a really think that was that was when I think up until that point traveling with a job and it was a big reset for me and Mark we changed the way we worked we um We've always just been the two of us, and that's fine when things are going well. But when, you know, after the – I think it's always stressful, but you added in the pressure of trying to be a favorite and trying to deliver on that stage. We just – it was so hard. We had a lot of people kind of come in and try and help us through that period, and we both sort of changed the way we work and had more people in our team after that, and, and it made a massive difference kind of moving forward. Mm-hmm. And then by sort of 20 20- – 14 a couple of podiums starting to show that you're still there um 2015 again a bit quiet i think you won the british championships uh-huh. <laughs> it was pretty was terrible 2015 i didn't i don't really um again mark mark had had another blood clot in 2015 it was um so that was like a real sort of stress um, and and this sounds ridiculous to people who don't have dogs but our dog was really sick as well um so it was just the home environment at that point was was not was I mean I did most of my training with Mark and he wasn't there either so he he was you know he was really sick so I actually went up to Loughborough to live up in Loughborough for a couple of months just to kind of just to change change of environment change of training partners and and that kind of gave me a bit of a kick back towards the you know it actually got really fit but it just never delivered in races and I think that's one thing if you're my head wasn't in it and no. I, I look at that and like that year I was like that was such it was although I was actually raced quite well I I, um, I was training quite well like it just never came out in my races because it was my head wasn't in it it was uh it was at home with with Mark and Barney the dog <laughs> yeah I, I get that though I, I've chatted on this podcast on quite a few episodes about the emotions and the ability of emotions to to do two things one they can be really powerful and I've raced guys where they're, they've fallen in love or their wife's just had a baby and and they've raced beyond themselves. Like they've gone extraordinary levels and I'm like, wow, where did that come from? To my own experiences, you know, 
being in a, a relationship in the 90s that, you know, wasn't probably the best for me. And and I'll never forget, I, I'm not sure what year it was, but Montreal World Champs, whether it was 98 or 99. And I have no doubt I was probably the fittest man in the world. I just knew my training. But I was just in a relationship that just, it, 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 it wasn't right. And, and I didn't perform up to my ability just because my emotions weren't right. And, and I think to be, to be honest, I think that's the future of science in sport is dealing with emotions, visualizing hormones and the ability to, to affect hormones, which affect you physically on, on the race course. Um, I think that's where we're going to go in the next sort of five to 10 years. And I think we're kind of finding our limits within the physical presence, but if we can, tap into our emotions and the, and the hormones, I think that's, and especially under fatigue and duress, I think that's going to be the future of sport. So I totally understand where you're coming from, where your mind is not in the game yeah. and how hard it is. But I think all of us listening or anybody listening can kind of go, actually, I also remember times where, man, I was falling in love or, I, you know, something amazing was happening in my life and it was like, I almost couldn't do anything wrong. I just felt so alive, you know. And it's like uh, a role with races, isn't it? You know, you have one good race, and then that that leads to more races. And and also, mm-hmm. I think within teams, that you if you have one successful person in a in a team, I think you do see it with the British women over the last sort of two years that they're quite there's quite support. You know, they're a supportive team of each other. They all want to beat mm-hmm. each other when they race, but seeing other people's success breeds success, and you see more mm-hmm. and more podiums because. You know, it's just that that kind of builds, doesn't it? That that um that good feeling when you're winning. Well, I think that that team mindset is so important, and and I do want to get to that and talk about relationships and things in a moment. But you know, I've had on this show uh, a number of athletes that are training under the Joel Filio squad, uh, Vincent Louis, Mario Mola, and and amongst others, um, and they have this real team camaraderie where they all want to win and they all want to beat each other, but they're all happy for each other and supporting and and they're lifting each other to to new heights and i had christian blumenfeld on the show from from norway and the norwegian team they're all kind of trying to push each other to new heights and enjoying each other's victory and but the british you guys have had that for so long with yourself and the brownlees and that was one thing you touched on earlier it's not just what you're doing amongst your team at the elite performance it's the the roll down effect to the juniors, like you said, there's 500 kids now signing up for these races just to make teams, and and you guys have become the role models now for for this next generation coming through, and you know, and I think Australia that we had probably more of that in the 90s. Um, I think Australia is still trying to find its way a little bit, but starting to get that momentum back a bit right now. Um, so it's been fascinating to watch. But just going back to 2016. You then, I had Gwen Jorgensen on a couple of weeks ago and we had a bit of a laugh and your name was mentioned because you were the last person to beat Gwen in a, in a World Series race and then you were the first person to beat her at the start of 2016 going into the Rio Olympics. And what was extraordinary about that is we really hadn't seen terribly much of you for a number of years and then you laid down a race on the Gold Coast in Queensland at the World Series race there in April of 2016 and you rode off the front on your own. Or maybe were you on your own the whole way, or did you have a couple with you? Well, with um, Flora Duffy and Andrea Hewitt. Yeah. So I was in, yeah, I was in very good company there as well. <laughs> and then you went off to to win that race. And you know, I think Gwen talked about it, saying maybe it did take a little bit of pressure off her for the Olympics to just get beaten once because yeah. she had gone on almost a two year spree of wins and 
just to go, okay, I've been beaten now. Now I can just focus on the Olympics. Um, but she also said that she was kind of disappointed and she had to have her coach, you know, Jamie Turner kind of say, hey, it's going to be okay and the focus of the Olympics. But, uh, I mean, you really did hit that race extraordinarily well. So tell me about that race. It was a qualifier, I think, for you for the Olympic Games and then going into Rio. We always have quite tough selection for Great Britain and because, the, you know, the team has always been, um, there's always a lot of comp- competition for the team. So the selection races were the previous year in 2015 to podium at the test events, which um, Non Stanford and Vicky Holland did, and then podium at the series final in Chicago, which Non and Vicky both did. So um, two spots were gone and there was there was one spot left. And um, I mean, I was way off in 2015, like I said, I just... And I was I think at that point, I was like, why, you know, why even bother? Why am I doing it? And I think it was like, well, you know, this kind of like, that habit, <laughs> just let's keep going. Um, just, just, just give it a go for um, 2016. And, and, you know, I have to train very differently now. Um, well, in that period to how I did kind of leading into the 2012 Olympics, I'm so, you know, my training volume is, was relatively low, probably compared to most athletes. I, I'd never ran for much more than four to five hours a week. So it's not a huge volume of running. Um, so it was making the most of what I could do. And at, at leading into that 2016 race, I had amazing support from our head coach, Ben Bright. Um, he delivered a lot of the sessions to me, even just had that weekly sort of chat. So it took a lot of the emotion out of mine and Mark's sort of relationship. Mark was able to write training programs, discuss them with Ben, and then Ben deliver them to me, which that sort of triangle really mm. kind of worked well in that period. Um, we had a sports psychologist um, and sports physiologist, Lawrence, who had a massive input into the training and the session, specifically the bike for the Gold Coast course. Um, and then a really good S&C coach, Matt, and sports psych, Lou, and, and they were our team heading in. And they having that team like 100% behind me, I think made me push forward to try and make Rio. And yeah, it just you know, I had a great block of training, like really, really good. I was, um, I kind of got a podium in Abu Dhabi in, on the way out to Oz. Um, so that was really good. I think that showed me that my form was like coming back and I was doing better than I did in 2015. And then, yeah, had like an amazing four week training block in, in Australia, up in Noosa and managed to kind of go and yeah, deliver one of my best races I've had really. Like I really did well on the, I had a decent swim. Um, the bike was kind of one of the best bike rides I've done. The course was actually quite solid. It was really technical. So lots of spikes, which we'd prepared for, um, lots of power spikes. It was just, I'd prepared like a hundred percent for that course. And I was so relaxed because I, I think from having such a bad year in 2015, it, it was pretty much down to myself and Jodie Stimson. I get on so well with Jodie. So I tried to like, not like ignore the fact it was kind of almost me versus her because that didn't really help anything. I was just like, just go out there and do the best I can. And if that means an Olympics, that's great. That's the path. But in my head, I kind of planned this whole other route as well, that if that didn't happen, I was going to go and race like a couple of World Cups and just do something different from the World Series for a while. So I was actually quite excited about that path as well. So mm. qualify for the Olympics was, you know, yeah, the third Olympics was was really special, I think, just because we executed it in – in such a good way um and you know the best way possible and and it was never you know it was never about Gwen it wasn't like oh my god yes I've beaten Gwen it was just like <laughs> I think that because she, she you know she was such a dominant athlete she was doing so well it was like 
it was I remember I stood on top of the podium after that race and I was like I they I was actually the series leader at that point because I came third in in the uh, yeah, yeah. I was like I didn't I never thought that would happen to me again I didn't think I'd be on top of the podium I didn't realize it till that point but I hadn't thought I'd be on the top so um it was really special I think it was like I've kind of restored a bit of faith in my own ability as well during that race. <laughs> Isn't it nice when you you haven't won for a while, or or maybe you look back and go, oh, maybe I didn't quite celebrate enough or enjoy that moment, and then you yeah. get another one, and you're kind of like, wow, I'm not done. I get yeah. to have one more, you know. And it's like, you know, maybe my last. I, I think I remember my last win that I ever had. I think it was 2014 or 2015. I think I was 42 or 43, and I got to win the Chicago Triathlon. And it was an Olympic distance race and just held off a, a fast charging hunter camper for the win. And I remember going, wow, that could be it. That was the most, yeah. and, and look, it was Chicago triathlon. It was a big deal at the time, you know, Chicago is no longer a professional race, but it had been around for sort of 30 years. And, and I was kind of like, oh, I was so grateful to have that experience of winning one more time, you know, that. I don't know. I, I've said it on this show before that people that say winning isn't everything, I don't know that have truly won. And I guess that doesn't mean you have to be first across the line. I think sometimes it is like your fifth at London Olympics, my fourth at, at Athens Olympics were wins after what we'd gone through to try and just get on the start line. But there is something really special when you do get to hold that finishing tape above your head and be like, yes, I got to have one more. It's <laughs> feeling, isn't it? And it's, um, it's hard to describe to people, I think, because you know, people say, well, what's it like to do that? And it's, it's, well, what was it like to be at the home Olympics? And I think God, it's so hard to describe, but um, I feel really privileged that I've done it, that, mm. um, you know, and, and people don't know how that feels, you know, when you're actually running down that carpet or you, you know, you mm-hmm. hear the crowd or you, you know, you, you get, it's, it, you know, people don't see it. And I watch it now. They watch the World Sister, watch the World Series, and I see them doing it. And I get quite emotional, you know, when you see someone win. I was like, I know how that feels. And I'm so happy for you. Like, mm-hmm. I really do kind of like, I'm, I'm really pleased for you, especially the ones that have come through kind of the adversity and kind of had the downtime. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's an amazing, amazing experience. And I definitely appreciated it more in 2016 than I did in that early stage of my career. <laughs> uh, no, for sure. Well, even when I had uh, Christian Blumenfeld on the show and we were chatting about that, and Christian's somebody that's been around for four or five years until he finally won last year the grand final in Lausanne. And, and you're so happy for somebody when you just see them try and try and try and try and you see how hard they're working, how close they get sometimes, and then finally – they get that breakthrough, they get that win and uh, you, you, you can't help it but be happy for them, you know. And, yeah. um, and you know how it feels, don't you? And I think but that's the same on people competing at any level as well. Like, you know, in the people that, um, you know, have worked so hard to kind of around their work, around their family, to train for an Ironman, they get to finish that Ironman. I think you really oh. kind of, you get what it means when you when you, you put your heart and soul into something, don't you? And not mm-hmm. everyone does. You know, the people that do endurance sport, they are the ones that are kind of trying to challenge themselves and push themselves. And, you know, you, you know that, that, that's what builds that community. Mm. You, you mentioned about, I want to talk about some of the fundamentals that, you know, Laura and I live by. And the first of which is the relationships and your team that you've built around yourself over the years and how that's changed and, you know, I, I say on this uh, on this show quite often about how it's one thing to have an expert at what they do, but the people 
the person needs to believe in you as well. They need to be on. They need to be there for the journey. It's uh, tell me a bit a bit more about your team and you know obviously Mark and your family, but you know you you've had a number of coaches. You've had some great sports psych and physiologists, and especially this last sort of four to eight years of of just trying to rebuild yourself and get yourself back onto start lines. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really different now um, because I'm not on funding or anything anymore. So my main support all through my career has been from Sport Wales because we live in, you know, I don't live in a triathlon centre. My closest kind of centre is the National Sports Centre in Cardiff. So all of my team have kind of come from there and they've been amazing. Like they, and I think that's um, one of the things that kind of definitely helped, kind of got me to, Rio Olympics I wouldn't have kind of got there without that kind of supportive team that were that are you know that are 100% behind you Mm. um but it's yeah it's really different now I think with I think that's for a lot of athletes that maybe leave that funding structure that ITU structure and then Olympics and move out into 70.3 and you have to find your own team at that point and um a friend of mine she's a I've known her for you know quite a few years she's a physio in in, uh, our local town so I go and see her regularly. Um, she's the partner of Adam Bowden, who's a British 70.3 athlete. So she really gets triathlon and and um, so that really helps. I think you need a, a practitioner that kind of understands the demands of what you're trying to do. So she's a really good asset. Um, and yeah, that's, that's about it really at the moment. Uh, a really good massage therapist. And we're kind of going from there. And, and it's really different though because I'm, I'm at the point at the moment where I'm not trying to I'm not 100% capacity you know where you're trying to find that extra small margin that extra thing is I'm just trying to get fit I'm still trying to get <laughs> yeah. you're trying to do the 99% yeah. not the final 1% <laughs> <laughs> so long, like anything I do is is a bonus it's like any, yeah. any sort of training no matter yeah. everything easy or everything hard it doesn't really matter at this point because we're just trying to get back to kind of some decent level of fitness I think you know depending on what happens this year or whether we get back to racing this year it's um when when I get to that level that's when we're going to need to maybe kind of expand our team a little bit more but you know I'm really yeah. lucky we leading up to the London Olympics we worked with um, a guy called Ryan Bowd and he's he's been helping us now with kind of the sponsorship side of things and the and that's been really good like it's a really different way of working and trying to find partners to work with in in a really different situation this isn't about me trying to go and win an olympics this is about the story of me coming back after surgery and kids so it's a really different approach it's not the performance Mm. approach it's telling ourselves as kind of that that kind of story so yeah it's just just uh it's good to have people i've still got supportive people around me which which makes a massive difference and i think yeah you can't get by without um family and a really supportive husband when you've got two kids either <laughs> i don't know how you guys are doing it laura laura and i always shake our heads because you're obviously now we have the two kids and neither one of us are trying to be athletes of any form in fact my, my workouts these days is to the point i i do a little walk run anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour in the morning and generally that's with laura because it's our only time together we kind of lock the kids in the room we have the little monitor and we go for a quick walk <laughs> You know, it's like 100 meters up the street, 100 meters back. We stay really close to home. And then I come in and jump in the backyard pool and try and swim as far as I can underwater. And that's about it. And uh, and I'm like, and then the rest of the day, you know, it's it, it's full on with the kids, um, with with the two of us. And, and we often shake our heads going, wow, 
<laughs> how do these women do it? And uh, I think there's no downtime. That's a definitely. I don't know what I did with all my time before. You know, <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny? <laughs> like series and box sets and all sorts because we just we don't have any. And especially because we're in the lockdown kind of situation at the moment, the kids normally go to nursery two days a week, so that's out. They normally see their grandparents because Mark's parents live really close, so we we normally see them like almost every other day. And although they might not have the kids, it's just if they're around, then we can do other stuff while they're with the kids. So it's, mm. yeah, there's there's kind of no time at the moment, but um, I do love it as well. I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not as 100% focused as I was before when I was no. an actor, but um, at the same time, the kids are young and if there's the chance of doing a second run or, but then see if I get stuck, if not stuck, if I get caught up playing with the kids and doing stuff with the kids, it's like, oh, you know, that run doesn't matter. It doesn't, mm. I'll just go when they've gone to bed or something. But I'm, want to make sure that i'm not missing you know missing anything either i know that's how laura is too she keeps saying i got no time i'm like well why don't you just let me look after our daughter sydney while you take a, a nap or, or whatever and she's like no i don't want to miss out I'm I like, know. Well, <laughs> you, you don't have any time <laughs> and i think whatever you do you're gonna feel a bit guilty like i feel guilty when i'm you know spending you know you go out for like so many hours on the bike or yeah. but then if you if i'm home with them all day i'm like really excited because i'm home with them all day but then if i haven't done any sort of training then i'm actually getting a bit stressed and snappy towards the end of the day well. <laughs> and like i need to make sure i get in like some stuff that i you know makes me kind of sane <laughs> and I'm, I'm a better mum as well then of course i think i agree with you i think i'm a better dad if you give me that little time away to come back and then I've, i'm re-energized and ready to help out with the family but tell me a bit about you know obviously sleep and recovery i guess pre-kids and now with kids how you're able to manage that and are you doing anything special are you using any i don't know measuring equipment or using any of those chili pads you know that cool the room down or anything like that no i mean I, recovery is just i mean i no <laughs> sleep <recovery. laughs> days, no i'm not recovered at all in fact greg i've got an hour of time and i'm using it to speak with you <laughs> out the window and it's um and it's I just think it's short term it, it's not for long and like I do do little things like I'll I'll nap when you know Max is 11 months so I'll go down and have a nap with him or something so I do get those kind of periods when we do and I say in a normal week if we're not in lockdown we we do have time in the week you know we, they go to the nursery two days a week so they're the days where I try to maximize my training get stuff done that I need to do so I'm able to kind of balance through through the rest of the week a little bit but it's yeah it's not as important I, I was after Mali I remember like I was putting in my training piece we were counting my sleep hours and I just stopped doing it because I was, I was still breastfeeding it was like it was like two hours and then one <laughs> adding in like there was a four hour stint there and it was like well if we're counting this I won't be doing any training because I'm just you know just no. so I think again I think that'll be um something that when we're getting a bit more focused and specific then it, I have to be a bit more serious about it but mm. over the past few months it's just been about kind of um surviving and and well mark actually in january was away a lot so that was a really tough month and i was like how single mothers do it like take my hat off to you it was um mm. in, or single parents sorry it's not just mothers is it it's uh, in, incredibly tough so i'm really lucky i've got a good support network around me <laughs> mm. no the, the whole the whole single parent thing i think last year when we only had the one kid i went away mountain biking with my brother for two weeks in colorado and um and basically laura was was home alone for that whole time and i came back from that trip and i was truly grateful to have the time but 
yeah, I had to really give a lot more energy when I came back because I think Laura's just like, she was exhausted. I, I don't know if it was two, two weeks. It was close to two weeks anyway. And um, and I'm sort of planning my 50th in a couple of years where I'm like, look, it'd be great to have a week with my brother, a week with you, you know, and then a week with the kids. But I'm uh, trying to figure out how to do that where because – like you, I don't want to miss out on the kids either. So you want to be involved. Yeah. Tell me about nutrition and and what are you doing? Anything um, special with that? Well, so I, I think things are changing a little bit at the moment because we are spending so long on like indoor trainers because we're only allowed out to exercise once a day and and cycling long distances is really frowned upon because you know if something happens to you a long way from home, you're going to add extra pressure towards the hospital. So I tend to ride inside a lot. So that's really key with the sweating i've been lucky enough to like have partnered with cliff for this year cliff bar so i've got really good kind of um support from them and their products are really nice which helps but um yeah it's just hydration really at the moment because that's so it's spending so much time sweating i ended up doing five hours on zwift the other night so it's obviously a massive like <laughs> importance wow every hour. yeah I so you're putting, you're putting the kids to bed and then doing five hours on Zwift? Well, no, it was a charity event it was. It started at 5 p.m., so Mark did kind of all the bedtime routine and I kind of got mm. I wasn't going to planning on doing the whole thing, but once you're in it and you're kind of you're like, oh, that's <laughs> my obsessive nature, I kind of ended up staying on there. Then. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, it's, I think, and again, recovery, it's, it's you know, I'm not – able to get as much sleep recovery as I want so making sure I get protein in after the hard sessions and um those kind of things well not even the hard sessions just making sure I'm fueling right mm. is um is really important for the sessions are you doing much uh, sort of general health looking at you know blood work and, and that kind of thing or were you doing that before each of the olympics how has that changed no we, we weren't really doing it before the olympics I mean I've had I'm sorry I suppose I was, sorry, leading up to 2012 and stuff because we'd bloods taken every so often and things just to check, um, you know, what's going on, whether your levels were at the right level. But Mm. um, it all kind of went out the window really when when the knee injury happened because it was just kind of, well, I've got other things to focus on. (laughs) All this toxic stuff set up to do and a whole kind of lead-in that we were doing with a friend who works at the local university. But it just all went out the window. It was just able to do whatever you can do, just do it. Mm. Um, So Mm. at the moment, yeah, there's nothing like that going on. It's it's really basic. It's just just doing training. I mean, I'm not – I think that's, you know, that side of things will come in definitely like later on when – I'm able to kind of do a bit more training and I'm aiming, aiming specifically for some events. It's really kind of a bit of a, this whole kind of comeback so far has been a bit like, Oh, we'll see how it goes or <laughs> see how the back takes it. So, um, so far the back, my back has been good and taken the first event, but again, we're, we've got event, we had events planned and I'll, I'll try and do them and, and see how my body copes with it. Cause the back is such an unknown of, and I don't want to risk it. If something's kind of flaring up or not quite right, then then that'll be it. You know, I'm not risking kind of no. surgery or anything else. Well, the thing is, you've had an outstanding career. You already have an amazing resume. And right now, you're doing the sport because you simply love doing the sport. And so you take one race at a time. And if you get those little pats on the back, like we talked about at the top of the show, and it starts to build again, then you can start to have bigger and bigger goals, I guess, as you go. But there's no point in having a really big goal if you don't know if the body's going to show up and yeah. uh yeah there's you know, me starting starting this comeback and going right i'm going to be 7.3 world champion within two years then it's going to be kona this because we just don't know it's it is the body how the body takes it but 
I think that part of that having no pressure like or big overall goal is is quite hard sometimes Mm. less motivating but also after being for years in an olympic system where there's always the four-year goal of olympics there's always the the test events the selection races uh we have commonwealth games as well so there's the commonwealth games there's there's the world series there's the points you have to get to get that you have to stay in this position to get the points if something happens you have to withdraw there's so much kind of additional stress and logistics that come with all of that and I never used to find it stressful but towards the end of my career when I was getting injured a lot it it just constantly felt like you were letting people down when you you mm. have another injury because it's like okay right I've got to ring British triathlon pull me out of that race hopefully it's not going to affect someone else getting into a race I've got to tell my sponsors that I won't be racing again but meanwhile remaining positive because you know <laughs> I'll be back <laughs> worry because you're talking to a sponsor someone is investing in you and you can't really say oh my god it's this again I, I so many times like I'd have a something come up an injury and we'd know it's probably it's my back so I'd be off for an MRI and I remember just sitting in the waiting room for the MRI and I got to know the MRI staff you know that's how many times I've been to the hospital to have an MRI in this clinic so I think it was being released if something like that happened now while I was trying to do 70.3, it wouldn't be such a big deal. It's like, I don't need to go and get an MRI because I don't, there's not a specific set of races that I have to hit to meet a mm. target. I can just go, you know, well, I won't race for a few months and see how the injury goes and then I'll start racing. So there's a lot less pressure to this kind of racing, which is definitely why it's been a way I wanted to come back into it. It's, it's, uh, that, that see how my body goes is such a kind of a nice way to be at the moment. Yeah, well, it allows your mind to relax again. And we've seen how you perform when you're relaxed. You know, if we go back to 2008 World Champs, so that, yeah. that's scary for everybody out there in, in some respect, if your body does show up. And it's funny, you when I started the sport back in the late 80s and early 90s, we weren't an Olympic sport and the federations had very little to do with us. Um, there was a world championship that started in 1989 in Avignon, France, um, that Mark Allen won. And the but we were all kind of individuals. We all, there was a bit like you going to the 70.3, the longer Ironman distance world is. You might race for your country kind of, but you really are on your own. And and then we became an Olympic sport. And then that for us, that's the Olympic sport was going to be in Sydney, Australia, a home Olympics. And suddenly our world changed from this go out and play to suddenly everything means something. And there's all this extra pressure that comes on from everybody else generally but then it fuels in yourself as well and and it did take a lot of the joy for me away from the sport and people will go really the olympics is everything and, and for me it wasn't i was in the sport long before we were in the olympics and suddenly you know suddenly everybody's telling you that you should go to the olympics and it's the biggest thing in the world and don't get me wrong i was glad to go and experience it and everything else but Yes, the amount of extra pressure and stress that came from that. And that was one of the things when I kind of stepped out of the International Triathlon Union type series, the World Series, and started focusing more on the the US prize money series, which was pretty big there sort of from 2001 to 2011. There was a kind of a 10-year window was the freedom. It was almost like I went, I took a step back and was able to just focus on doing the job at hand rather than stepping through all the, you know, the hoops to to get to a team or anything. Oh, I didn't have to. I, as long as I performed well enough and I had a decent enough kind of 
resume, a race director will say, hey, yeah, here's a start. And, and it was quite simple. Um, that was, I, there was that joy in stepping away from the ITU that I, I needed because I didn't love all of that as much, like you said. I do. Like, I, I love the ITU racing. I think it's brilliant. It's so cool. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, First class. <laughs> there's so much that comes with it. Like, um, there's a lot of people employed, isn't there? There's a lot of people's jobs within it. The, you know, the staff, the you know that all those and those staff are amazing they you know they give you know some of the british staff especially our team like heading towards rio was was amazing so the amount they put into it but there's the pressure that comes with that when someone is putting their life into what you're doing as well that uh, yeah it's just it's just different and i think if you're speaking to like a a young junior about it like what are you talking about like they look Mm. you know but until you've been through it for that many years you you realize what it what it comes with and i mean it but maybe that's why it's so amazing as well, because it's uh, to do well on that level, it, you have dealt with a lot of sort of uh, stress, and, mm. stress and pressure too. We've we've touched on so much, Helen. We you know we've looked at your your team and your relationships, your sleep and nutrition, and the amount of body work that you've had done, and and different pieces just to keep your body going, and your general health, and and some of your training, and and even how you were mentally and emotionally around key events and and how you've managed that it's you know it, it's been fascinating because like i said at the very beginning of the introduction you've had some incredible highs um the highest of highs and 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 really to be a multiple world champion both on the one day you know when it used to be a one day and now and then also f- backing that up when it became a series Really, I think it's only yourself and Javier Gomez that might have done that. Um, And I think that's just extraordinary because it shows that you can do it both ways. And then going to three Olympics and and turning up even with a body that wasn't cooperating and still performing, still doing the best for yourself and those around you, um, really extraordinary journey. And that's why, you know, I was really excited when you said, yes, you'd come on and chat with me because I know you've got the two little ones. And I, I, I felt very hesitant to reach out and ask because I know your time is valuable that you could be doing a me and other things with your time right now. So I just, I really appreciate you coming on. But before we go, just, are there any kind of bits and pieces and gear recommendations um, that you want to tell people especially now uh, are you riding zwift or, and stuff like that what do you yeah, I, I live on zwift pretty much but i i, I don't <laughs> like going out on the bike as much as i used to um i think especially having two kids um, not long after mali was born me and mark went out riding and a lorry came really close to us and i was just like oh my god like really hit home like nothing happened mm. but i was like so, so i do go out and ride but i do spend a lot of time on zwift um i think i mean one person that i mean all through my career, well, not all through my career, but my last few years, the only sponsor that kind of stuck with me through like the pregnancies and kind of the back surgery is Hoob Wetsuits. Like Dean at Hoob has been brilliant and and so supportive, like of my sort of uh, of my career. And I do some work with him on them. Um, we have a fellowship of speed, and they have he has different people involved from like the cycling world and then um, triathlon and different experts in kind of the technology and it's how we can get the equipment and the team as you know as fast as possible so that kind of stuff's really good and I was all set to go up and do some aero testing on the velodrome up in Derby with um, the guys up there and it fell through like just obviously with all the virus hitting so hopefully once it's all over I can kind of get back up there and do that really it's uh Mm. yeah it's i'm really like so i've got some partners that have come on board to kind of support me kind of coming back 
into this new stage of my career, which is is really exciting. It's nice that people have kind of got faith in me to kind of come back and um, yeah, see what I can do, <laughs> see what see what this old body will do. Isn't it special when somebody else thinks you're okay? <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and and they're they're willing to actually back you a little bit. And yeah. like you said, you signed with Cliff Bar this year. They've been around forever and a magnificent company in their own right. And and I think I saw you you with on. Shoe, oh, running shoes which is new which is so like it's so nice I mean I've been I've been I was with um ASICS for years and um that all kind of fell away when I was pregnant uh, with the first pregnancy and so I think just for a shoe company like to want to like give me stuff I was like oh my I felt really grateful because I've been out for so mm. long and it is mm. those people kind of showing that bit of faith in you which is amazing and Vita Spikes is a new one as well so I've which I you know my first race I did I was um I bought a bike for it because I didn't didn't really want to get a bike that I wasn't sure about. So, you know, it's such a new thing, isn't it? Moving from a road bike to an aero bike. I'd literally had the bike for a month before the race. So now mm. I've got a bike I'm happy with and I'm comfortable with. And I'm, um, yeah, I'm kind of trying to get like in a good position. This, this time off away from racing has given me really lots of time to kind of get my... I, know. My I was going to say... <laughs> I mean, I had jotted down in my notes, you know, ask Helen now that the Olympics have been pushed back a year, did that suddenly whip the appetite at all? But I, I, I think. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to if it was, you know, I don't think it's feasible. I'm not sure what's happening with our team and what they're going to do anyway. It's a really no. awkward situation for so many federations. And, you know, will there be any races this year? Will they have Olympic points? Is that fair mm. if they do? If countries are unable to swim? It's uh, There's so many unknowns. Um mm. I just don't know if I'd be able to swim fast enough anymore. <laughs> That's the problem. Uh, the thing is with you, Helen, if you decided you want something, I'm sure <laughs> you would make it happen. I have zero doubt. And and you obviously have a decent engine because your chassis keeps trying to keep up with it. And it's yeah. like, hey, I can't keep up. So uh, what about training locations and, and things like that around the world? Have you got some favorite places that you love to train? Um, favorite? Well, I, you know, I do love being at home. Um, I always have. Um, just the weather is not the good, is it? That's that's the hard bit. <laughs> we live in South Wales, so it, it does rain a lot. But you know, if, if it was nice, and we've been lucky, it's been a lovely few weeks. Like it's the lovely place to train. But we really like Lanzarote. That's close to us. We've spent a lot of time training there. Um, I always love training in Noosa. We've spent years going out to Noosa, and you, you guys know that we spent a lot of time with you out in Noosa. Um, it's a, just a, a lovely kind of place to train and pick up those first few races of the season. It's not the best place in the world to train, but you throw in the kind of the bits that work and the fact that it's be- there before racing. Um, that's probably it. I think, you know, if I had a choice, I do spend a lot of time at home, especially now with the kids. You know, it's, uh, yeah. we like to travel with them, but then there is the logistics of looking after them when we're away then out training. So we have to yeah. have grandparents to come with us. <laughs> Oh no, that's fantastic. Well, Hells, this has been absolutely magnificent. How do people follow you? Is it Helen Jenkins um, on your Twitter, um, Instagram? Um, Jinks at Twitter. I think I'm Hell Jinks on Instagram. Um, I do have a Facebook page, which I'm really terrible at updating. I need to get better. <laughs> <laughs> All of these things. I, I feel like, you know, I, my career kind of finished in, well, 2016, I retired, but really probably finished 2015. And all of this stuff just sort of took off in that sort of 2007, 2008. And I'd, I'd had sort of 20 years as a professional athlete before that. And the only thing you had to do back then was win a race and you get a magazine cover kind of thing. And then yeah. suddenly all the social media stuff took off. I'm like, what? 
now everybody's got to hear about my training and what I'm yeah. doing. And, and so that took me a little while to, and I grew up in the generation where you don't speak about yourself unless somebody asks. So it, it was always a difficult way to self-promote. But um, I'm quite a private <laughs> person as well. And I find it, I do find it quite hard to share everything. Uh, I think mm. who's interested, like really who is interested, but you know, I follow people and I'm interested in the small. <laughs> I, I think it's, just, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's part of being an athlete now. It, it wasn't before, yeah. but it is part of the job now. And you, know, you don't have to be the best athlete. You, you can be very good on social media and have a really good kind of income from it. So you have to, I mean, I'd rather be the better athlete, but you you have to accept that it's part of what we do now. And, and, uh, yeah. and it's well, a lot of athletes have media teams around them. I mean, yeah. Lucy Charles uh, Barclay, a fellow British athlete of yours and three times second at Hawaii Ironman, uh, she, I think she has a sister or somebody working her media platform, does an incredible yeah. job. And then you have Gwen Jorgensen has Talbot Cox. And, incredible job. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's so, yeah, there's so many. And it's quite good to kind of see what other people do as well. Like I do try to follow the athletes and, and Gwen's, you know, Gwen's YouTube. I find Gwen's YouTube videos right, really interesting. She covers like such a wide, wide range of topics. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I don't, but I, don't, I can't see myself having YouTube <laughs> Soon. I know. I, I, Laura and I are a bit the same. I, we're, we're kind of private people as well. But yeah, full of kid stuff. I can talk to you about entertaining kids all day. I can give you yeah. on that, but I don't know who wants to hear it. Well, maybe you and Laura can catch up on that one. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Hells. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening. This was a real treat to have a, a very dear friend on and, and chat with me for, well, over an hour and a half now. And I, I really appreciate your time, Hells. And Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks a lot for listening to Be With Champions. If you enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Be With Champions Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, Here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.